welcome back to Grid Iron Gamble, the only podcast that puts its money where its mouth is. I'm your host, Rich Ryan, and I'm joined by one member of the collective, Donnie D.P. Peters. After a 2-3 and three Week 5 in the Las Vegas Super Contest, we are down to 11 and 11, 13, and 1. I can't forget that tie. 11, 13, and 1. Good for 11 and a half points and 15, 67th in the Las Vegas Super Contest. 45.8%. No bueno thus far. But we have had darker times here. Before we were Gridiron Gamble and we worked for a company doing this podcast, DP, we once had a stretch where we went 1 and 4, 1 and 4, 2 and 3. One and four. Let's let's try to avoid that in the next two weeks, please. We really need to if we want to have a shot at this thing. I, I'm still hopeful. <laughs> it's it's still early. How, how long? I'm can definitely we... hopeful. How... I mean, I don't, I don't, I'm not over here being negative mo or anything like that. I think that we, you know, you can just as you go on a bad run, you can easily go on a really good run. Uh, you know, that same year we did have a good run of two or three weeks in there. Um, but that's not to say we can't have a run of four or five weeks. Why can't we just rip off a bunch of four and ones and five and O's? You've seen other people do it in the contest, so why can't it be us? I mean, it can easily happen. It's definitely in the realm of possibility. Uh, we just got to make good picks. Yeah, we dropped uh, we dropped back-to-back five and O weeks in there during that same season. We got up to 10th in the contest and ultimately fell out of it. One of the reasons why I remain confident is that our consensus picks are back. We went 4 and 1 in consensus picks last week. Unfortunately, because of Thursday night rules, we did not have the Bucks on the card. And then nobody was confident enough in the Chargers. Well, I guess Brett was confident in the Chargers. He actually had them on his card, but nobody else had them higher than a 6. And nobody else was very confident in the Colts, nobody having them higher than a 7. But they both covered. And we went four and one in consensus picks on the season. We are now nineteen fifteen and one when all four hosts are on the same side. That is good for fifty five point seven percent, and that would be pretty good in the contest as well uh, if you average it out. So I, I think we're making good selections, but we're just getting a little unlucky in some spots and just unlucky within our own processes in picking our consensus picks. So I still have hope that we can turn this around and get above 500 DP. Yeah. I mean, one of the things that, that we got to, we got to definitely do better at is uh, picking our underdogs, which we're only picking at 52%, 11, 10 and one. Uh, if you look at any of the leaders, I mean, the leaders are picking uh, much better to, with, with underdogs the leaders right now. Cali cappers is uh, 12 and three with underdogs. And then the guy in second place is 10, two and one. So, uh, both are picking a lot of underdogs. Uh, we just got to pick ours much better than they are. And Donnie's Perfect. of course, yeah. Donnie is of course getting that info from fantasysupercontest.com where you can get 20% off of a premium subscription by going to our link, fantasysupercontest.com slash gridiron. It's only 40 bucks with that discount for the entire season of data from every team, every single team. In both the Super Contest and Super Contest Gold, you can even go back to previous seasons of data that Yada has collected and see all the trends that you would like. You can fade people, you can tail people, 
football uh, fantasy super contest.com slash gridiron for 20% off. That's fantasy super contest.com slash gridiron. And that's kind of what I mean by so in our consensus picks, I'm, I don't have the data on me right now, but just knowing how we select, the majority of our consensus picks are likely dogs, probably upwards to 80, 90%. So it's just that process of us choosing all of the games and then ranking them. There's there's a little leak in that process right now, but we'll get there. I mean, we're going to get some winners on the card soon. I got full faith. I'm looking very much forward to some winners on the card. We did have two members of the collective have winning weeks. Brett went 3-1-1, one, and, one, and your boy went 3-2. and two. Donnie was 2-3, and three, and Mo, tough week for Mo, won 3-1 in his top five. He and Brett are now tied overall on the season at 12-11-2. I'm right behind them at 11-14, and 14, and Donnie's still, still in a bit of a rut at 8 16 and one those two weeks those two the two starting weeks it's going to be hard for you to to really dig out of those it is going to be hard i mean i felt like it's been fairly hard picking all all year but but we'll see how it goes i'll turn it around hopefully hopefully get into the nitty-gritty here in the middle of the season make some good picks and then for the stretch run really step up my game home dogs 10 and 6 against the spread thus far this does not include any of the the london games uh, those are neutral sites. So ten and six thus far. Touchdown favorites, teams that are favored by seven or more, are five and ten against the spread. So if you fade those favorites, you're winning at a sixty-six percent clip right now. And of course, the last stat I have to bring up: Brett's goat lone wolves eight and zero oh, when Brett is the only host on a side. And unfortunately, his two lone wolves were on the card this week. DP. I mean, what are you going to do? I think we got to start listening to Brett. It's the only answer, right? He's 8-0, man. That's that's the game we're going to start with. One of the games. The game that I put on the card. The game that I just completely whiffed on. We had the Cardinals plus 6.5 traveling east to play a 1 o'clock game against the Philadelphia Eagles. And this one was over in the first quarter. The Eagles put up 21 points. Uh a comedy of errors on the cards and then the Eagles just taking advantage. Carson Wentz seems like he has multiple successful deep passes every single game. And uh, I I thought backdoor cover was on the table, but when you get up 21 zap like that, it's uh, it's hard for even the most aggressive teams uh, to come back. Had, had the bad turnover, uh, Again, errors by the Cardinals after it was 7 nothing Gave the Eagles a 15-yard field to score. They did so to make it 14 nothing And then at the end of the first, we had Torrey Smith scoring a 60-yard touchdown. And it was pretty much shut off the lights from there. The Cardinals are bad. I, I think that's fair to say. Their offensive line was about as bad as it could get in this game. That's They couldn't block... For shit, and they just didn't have any opportunities to get back there and throw the ball. Carson was constantly under pressure. So the the Cardinals are one thing. We know what they are. They're a bad football team. It's going to be really hard to take them on the road unless they're in a great spot or getting a lot of points. And even harder to take them at home where they might get a little bit of a public bump 
um, and maybe even laying short points in the future, they're a team that I'm going to want to stay off of after watching this performance. I'm more interested in the other side of the ball, in the Eagles. DP, how much are you buying what we've seen from the Eagles so far? Do Are, are they really the class of the NFC East? Mm, I wouldn't go that far. I mean, I mean, I like what I see from them, but I also know that they haven't played uh, the best teams out there. So I'm a little bit torn, I guess. I mean, I don't know. I feel like the Eagles, they're good. I mean, don't get me wrong. They're definitely good. Um, but I could... I could certainly see a lot of regression coming for them. I mean, just 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 looking at one thing, right? The way Carson Wentz plays quarterback. I mean, that constant running around, making plays on a whim. I mean, that just doesn't seem like it's something you can keep up over the course of a whole season. Either he's going to get hurt. Either some of those plays are not going to go his way. Like, for example, when a guy's hanging on his ankles and not able to sack him, and then he's able to throw a 20-yard pass. Well, what if those people start sacking him? And then it just everything just turns. So... I'm not totally bought in yet. I also don't, I mean, granted, the, the Cardinals couldn't do anything on Sunday, but I'm also not totally bought in on the Eagles secondary. So I'm not exactly to say that they are the class of the NFC, but, I mean, they're in the conversation, and, and as long as the season keeps going this way, then, yeah, they're going to be up there in the conversation for, to be the class of the NFC. 4-1 and one for the Eagles. Their one loss coming against the undefeated Kansas City Chiefs. They opened up week one with a win at Washington that was a very funky game, but we'll give them the W there. That's a tough win on the road. But then, to your point, DP, their last three wins have been against the Giants, Chargers, and Cardinals. Those are all bottom seven teams, those three. I mean, they're horrific sides. And I just, I Mo keeps killing me for this, but I, I still don't think Carson Wentz is very good. I'm sorry. I know, I appreciate that Carson Wentz is as aggressive as he is. It's really fun to watch a quarterback play like that in today's NFL where offenses are neutered, guys are trying to protect the ball and throw short on every play. Your boy Tom Brady, chief amongst them. And then we got Wentz out here just dodging people in the pocket and YOLOing the ball downfield. That's fun to watch. And trust me, I'm enjoying every Sunday I get to watch Carson Wentz fling the ball downfield. But when it comes for time for him to make a touch pass on a third and medium, I, I, I just never see him do it. I never see him set his feet and make the big throw into a tight window. He's just always chucking the ball downfield. And even when he's chucking the ball downfield, he, he throws some balls where I'm like, what are you throwing at? I mean, five yards wide on, on go routes and... He has the luxury of having Alshon, Torrey Smith, and Nelson Aguilar, three guys that can just go, and they can also go up and get it too. So he has that luxury, but I, I'm still not sold on, on Carson. Am, am, I, am, am I being stubborn here, DP? Am I just having an opinion and sticking to it, or, or are you seeing some of the same things I am? I'm definitely seeing some of the same things you are. I would say you're a little bit more stubborn than I am with it, but still I, I, don't, I think that you have a lot of merit. Um, I've heard Carson Wentz be compared to two quarterbacks – um, one one plays now, uh, one used to play. And, and I see a little bit of those two quarterbacks in Wentz, not necessarily the best parts of them. Um, one of them is Aaron Rodgers, which I think is crazy. But I will say that the way Wentz moves around and runs out of the pocket, okay, that is a little reminiscent of Aaron Rodgers. What he doesn't have, though, 
is he doesn't have the accuracy of Aaron Rodgers. I mean, Rich, you just talked about how some of those throws are like, what in the hell are you doing? Um, he definitely doesn't have the brain power as, as Rodgers as well. So, I mean, he has the mobility, but he doesn't have the other skill sets. And then the other one is, I mean, he has a little bit of Brett Favre in him, doesn't he? Just a, just that gunslinger mentality, which is when he's scrambling, he throws these passes, and you're like, what the hell? But for whatever reason, a lot of those passes worked out for Brett Favre. He would fit them into places. He would throw them 110 miles an hour. They would get there. But with Wentz, it's kind of like, dude, you need to just slow your roll here. <laughs> I mean, you're you're going to get yourself in trouble a lot of these times. But so far, it's worked out for him. But but yeah, like you said, I mean, the Cardinals, the Chargers, the Giants, I mean, they're not exactly world beaters out there. So I got, can't put a lot of stock into it in in you know, coming up, we're gonna see. Uh, we're gonna see him tested. He's got. It's not a terribly tough schedule, but you know, you got the Panthers this week. The Redskins have a good defense, um, so they'll have a rematch against them. And then uh, skip over the 49ers because they're bad. But uh, you got the Broncos and the Cowboys will be a good game too on the road. So we'll see what we'll see what Wentz is made out of coming up in these next uh, handful of weeks. I like going cross racial with some of my sports comparisons. He reminds me of Dante Culpepper. He's he got that big frame. I mean, he's not as thick as Cole Pepper was, but what are they, both six five, six four, real tall guys can move in the pocket, but aren't like super mobile. I mean, Wentz is pretty athletic. I think he's actually probably faster than Cole Pepper ever was. But the ability to maneuver in the pocket and then just chuck the ball forever that reminds me a lot of Dante. I just I just remember Dante when he had both Carter and Moss just just maneuvering the pocket just a little bit and then just literally like backyard football just throwing the ball as far as he can and hoping one of those guys makes a play all right let's move on to a game where we got the w brett colson put this on the card because he's burt Manani the god and speaking of regression it was a team that i mean we knew it was coming dp i almost had a meltdown on friday's podcast calling for the the regression talking about how I didn't understand how the coin always seemed to come up Detroit, and it nearly did on Sunday as well, despite having a 20 trailing 27 to 10 heading into the fourth quarter. Here come the Lions. They put up two touchdowns, and they're actually have an opportunity if they get a stop to get the ball back and tie the game or even win the game outright. But Cam Newton puts the team on his back, throws a beautiful pass to Kelvin Benjamin, one of many in this game from Cam, who had 10.8 yards per attempt, and Ed Dixon had the game of his career, five catches for 175 yards. 27-24 to is the final, the Panthers get the win, the cover on the road, Detroit comes back to earth a little bit, DP, do you trust Cam going forward? Is Cam back? I think... Cam is back to a point. I wouldn't say he's going to be back to last week. I mean, what he was like 80% or something completion rate. I mean, I don't think that that's sustainable. And a lot of those passes that he throws, um, while they are good passes, I think he does benefit from the fact that he has Benjamin and he has Funchess who are just enormous wide receivers. I mean, it's like the goon squad out there playing, playing wide receiver. (laughs) And they're just able to make some of these catches that a lot of other wide receivers aren't able to make because wide receivers aren't built like those guys. I mean, those guys are freaks. Um, that said, Cam has been playing very well. Um, I mean, the whole, how the Lions got back in the game, I mean, I totally put that on Ron Rivera. He needs to he needs to let his let his horse go, you know, just let him run. 
um, keep going. I mean, what he did do is run the ball, and that's not how you're going to stay away from the Lions, who are a passing team. But I'm in on Cam. Uh, it just seems like he's like a, I don't know, he's like a horse, right? He he starts slow, but he's gradually picking up speed. And in the long haul, he's going to be just, just going absolutely balls to the wall. So I like him going forward, and uh, we'll be able to keep an eye on him. There's going to be some good games coming up uh, that I'm sure we're going to be talking about him plenty on the DFS pod on Thursdays. Yeah, Rivera was trying to salt the clock with a backfield that ended 21 carries for 28 yards. And with uh, half the quarter to go in the third quarter, which, <laughs> dude, I don't know what you're doing, but you're playing a team that all they do is throw the fucking ball over the field. You need to you need to put some points up. And if you squint really hard, the Panthers' offense is starting to look a lot like the Falcons and the Patriots, where they get a lot of these ton uh, these a lot of these short passes going to athletic guys, and then they take shots downfield. So if they just keep moving the ball with those shorter passes that are high completion percentage, they're going to keep running the clock. It's not like they're going to stop the clock every time they run a play. So there there's certainly two ways to salt the clock. One of them is running into the line of scrimmage three times, falling down and punting. And the other one is trying to move the ball a little bit, sacrificing some incompletions and stop clocks and stoppage uh, stoppages. But you can also move the ball a little bit. And I, I and, think- and you know what, what the Panthers have that the Falcons and the Patriots don't have is a very mobile quarterback. Yeah, a six-five monster at quarterback who can extend plays and get you some yards. I'm really excited about the Panthers moving forward. They were a team that Brett hyped a ton in the preseason process, and I hopped on board, especially towards the end, because I loved the personnel decisions that they made and the thought that they put into forming their roster, at least from an offensive perspective. And I think it just takes time for those things to click, especially given that Cam missed not only the majority of the preseason, but the OTA process as well, recovering from that rotator cuff surgery. So I think you made a really good analogy there with a horse race. You know, the the Panthers seem to be a team that got out of the gate a little slow, but maybe intentionally. Maybe they just needed to hit the stretch at the right time uh, and then show the whip and uh, and sprint to the finish, which I certainly think is a possibility. Other side of the ball, Detroit, uh, we're not surprised by this, right, DP? We knew this team was somewhat fraudulent over those first four weeks. Now we just need to figure out what they are. Because I still don't know what Detroit is. Like, if they're legit a bottom 10 team, I would not be surprised still. I'm not impressed by this team. No, I think we've all had had our hesitations uh, throughout the year. And I think that this is you know, this could be the start of, of something, something bad. I mean, I just, and it's not so much that they're, they looked out of, you know, in total disarray coming out of that game or that it was such a heartbreaking loss. Cause we saw that they did take a heartbreaking loss against the Falcons and they came and bounced back and then they beat the, the Vikings on the road. But it just, when you watch this team and we watch this team on Sunday with our eyes, they, they just, they don't look good. I mean, their defense isn't great. They're average at best. I mean, they have what? They have Slay and as a cornerback, and that's about it. I'm not really impressed with anything else. And their offensive line doesn't look good. Stafford got hit a ton. And their wide receivers aren't really impressing me this year. I mean, I, I don't really see any separation. I mean, what's the what's the one bright spot in, in on the offense? It's Amir Abdullah, and that guy seems like he's just ready to break at any moment because he's so small and brittle. But this stretch run coming up, and I mean, it's it's 
five or six games when I could see the Lions just really <laughs> totally falling off the wagon, you know, go like one and four, two and four, or something like this. And then we're back to just thinking that they're the same old Lions or a bottom of the barrel team. They're never going to be able to turn it around. I mean, every single year coming into the season, it's this is the year for the Lions. This is the year for the Lions. And then every year, halfway through the season, it's like, nope, this isn't the year for the Lions because they just suck and they're the same old Detroit Lions. Let's go to the second game that we dropped during the one o'clock hour. And this is a game where you feel like we may have gotten moosed a little bit. Me, I just, uh, I kind of agree with Mo. I think we may have just been on the wrong side in this one. And it's the Cincinnati Bengals 20, the Buffalo Bills 16. It was a close game throughout. Buffalo actually scored points in every single quarter, but unfortunately they could not turn one of those field goals into a touchdown. Cincinnati puts up 10 points in the fourth quarter and goes on to win. We do not cover by one solitary point. Tyrod Taylor, tough game. Uh, Four and a half yards per attempt. Yuck. Uh, 166 yards, one touchdown, one interception. Uh, And Dalton was just marching up and down the field. Nine yards per attempt, one touchdown, but two interceptions. One of them, A.J. Green just dropping the ball (laughs) to the other team. And then A.J. Green also had an insane fumble that was recovered by the Bills, but the Bills just could not take advantage of those turnovers. I thought the Bengals outplayed Buffalo for all four quarters, and we actually were pretty lucky to be in this one. DP, you think uh, you think we got unlucky here? I do think we got unlucky. I think that if Charles Clay would have stayed in the game, uh, Charles Clay, the, the tight end for the Buffalo Bills and basically a hybrid wide receiver, uh, he's got a little bit of Anquan Bolden in him. Uh, he's very athletic. Uh, I mean, he's great, great with the ball. I just think that him going out in the first quarter with the knee injury, being out for the rest of the game, and, and now multiple weeks uh, with a torn meniscus, it just it really hurts them. And it, and it showed they couldn't they couldn't move the ball. Even just one player like that. I mean, all the Bengals then had to do was just just hone in on Tyrod Taylor. You know, keep him in the pocket, put a spy on him, and then watch wherever the heck Lashawn McCoy was going because no one else on the Buffalo Bills can catch the football. It is it's an absolute joke out there. And this game went pretty much like I thought it was going to go. I could definitely see the Bengals winning it. I thought they kind of would, um, but I thought it was going to be a very close game, and it was. I thought the Bengals were – I mean, they're just a team who's prone to turn the ball over. They did. They lost the turnover battle by three, like you said, Rich. Um, I mean, Andy Dalton, yeah, he he played all right, but he also had some some questionable throws. I mean, one of the picks was on him because it was high. Um, and then I just, as a team, I just don't think that the Bengals are that good. And I think that the Charles Clay injury, honestly, it's, it's worth at least another trip to field goal range. I mean, come on. It's, I don't see how it's not. Um, uh, I mean, Rich, I know, I know you said that you think the Bengals outplayed them, which, which is fine. I can see that side of it. It's, you know, it's one or the other, but, uh, Mo Mo's out here acting like the, the Bengals beat the bills 50 to 17. It, that, that didn't happen in that game. The ba- the Bengals, yes, they, they might've outplayed them enough to win the game, but it's not exactly like the Bengals, you know, came in there and smashed the heck out of the Buffalo bills and, and won by 30. The spread was three. They won by four and the, the bills best receiver, you know, went out of the game and then it was all on the bills defense. That's what we were betting on here. And, and that's what I bet on. And unfortunately didn't work out this time. What are you going to do? After Charles Clay left, something Nick O'Leary became the main pass catcher for the Bills, running those uh, tight end routes that Clay does. He ended the game with six targets, caught five of them for 54 yards. But then after that, uh, Shady led the team in targets with nine, catching six of them for 26. But 
I mean, these numbers are just horrific. Brandon Tate, two catches, 25 yards. Mike Tolbert, three catches, 18 yards. Zay Jones, one catch on six targets for nine yards. Zay Jones has to be, what, one of the biggest disappointments of the season? I mean, granted, he's a rookie, but he had a lot of hype coming into the season. He's one of the biggest reasons they shipped out Sammy Watkins, and we're fine with it. So, to me, he's he's got to be a huge disappointment for the Buffalo Bills. I have no idea how this team scores. Yeah, Let's just- I mean, it's, it's all on their defense. They're, they're in a similar way to how the Broncos were winning a couple of years ago. I mean, the Broncos had a better offense, but they were still winning with their defense, right? I mean, that's what Buffalo's doing here. They're winning with their defense. Their defense is getting turnovers. They're putting their offense in good field position. And then it's really... I mean, up until last week, it was Tyrod, it was LaShawn McCoy, and it was Charles Clay, and that was really it. Bengals start the season 0-3, are now 2-3, and and Pittsburgh looks as bad as possible. Is there any chance the Bengals can win this division? I think there's a chance, yeah. I mean, I definitely think that there's a chance. I just... This this division to me just seems like a shit show. I could see the Ravens winning this this fucking division. I I have no idea what's going to happen. I think it's going to be close. I mean, you said it, Rich. The Steelers look like a total mess out there. I have no idea what the Steelers are doing, honestly. From from coaching staff to players, they just look an utter, utter, utter mess. I mean, out there, you got Antonio Brown throwing Gatorade bottles one week. You got Ben this week talking about how he might be done after he throws five picks. You got. I mean, it's just everything is a mess. They can't they can't organize an anthem protest correctly. They <laughs> like they can't have the correct game plan in place. It's just it's a shit show in Pittsburgh. It's great to see because I hate the Steelers. But I mean, if you're if you're any way trying to be a fan of that team, if you're trying to bet on them, I don't see how you can do anything with the Steelers right now. But I'm also not going to exactly put a ton of confidence in a team that turns the ball over a ton like the Bengals, has no leadership and a coach in Marvin Lewis. I mean, it could just be the best of a bad bunch is, is what we're seeing at the end of the season, but I don't expect whoever comes out of this division to do anything going forward in the playoffs. I'm trying to pull up some futures here, but, uh, oh, here we go. Populating now, looking for the AFC North. So at an offshore book, I am seeing, holy hell, the Ravens are plus 300 and the Bengals are plus 500. The Steelers are minus 225. That seems... <laughs> I don't understand that bet. Uh, I think the Bengals plus 500 might have some really good value. Five to one that they win that division. I mean, are the Steelers good at football? I'm not sure. Their offense is certainly. The Steelers uh, are they're I mean, they're a team that they have the talent, right? It, but talent doesn't necessarily win you the games unless you can put it all together. I think Steel. I think Bengals plus five hundred to win the North is very interesting. That de- that defense was good, and the return of Vontez Perfect and Adam Jones has really pushed them uh, pushed them over the top a little bit. Let's go down to Miami, Florida, where uh, <laughs> cocaine's a hell of a drug. But on the football field, we saw Jay Cutler and the Dolphins squeak out a sixteen to ten victory over. The Marcus Mariota-less Tennessee Titans, Matt Castle, showed up, and woof, is that guy still horrible. It, it makes me feel good that my eyes, I can still trust my eyes, knowing going into this game, Matt Castle's bad, and he goes out there, and he plays bad. <laughs> 141 yards on 32 attempts, that's good for 4.4 yards per attempt. 
and the Dolphins do a great job of funneling their defense to stop the run, holding Tennessee to 70 yards on 20 attempts. Uh, really ugly grind-em-out game, but we got a ton of value with the three points. And DP, for some reason, the contest, this was only the, 11, the 11th most popular pick. I, I don't understand that. This seems like this seemed like the free square of free squares after uh, Thursday Night Football. It definitely does. It seems like a lot of people people missed on the opportunity. I mean, we've seen this in the past where there's been a big injury, uh, biggest one two years ago, the one where, where Drew Brees went out. Remember that? And then we, we ended up switching our, our card uh, last minute to account for that. And, and the Saints ended up being, uh, or the Panthers ended up being a, a really uh, popular pick. But I think in this case, I think a lot of it might have just been reluctancy because Mariota was such a game-time decision. Um, people might have been a little bit worried about it, but I don't see how you could pass up uh, the value here. I mean, we we saw it, we jumped on it, we loved it, and uh, got us a win. Even if Marietta went, we talked about this. He he's battling a hamstring injury, and he's a mobile quarterback, so it's it's not like Tennessee's value shoots through the roof. And sometimes, guys, in in a contest like this, you have to embrace ambiguity because it's going to lead to what shouldn't be but will be a contrarian play. So I was astounded when we when I saw that Miami was only the 11th most popular selection. But the Dolphins, man. Dude, what the fuck? Man, Jay Cutler, 92 passing yards on 26 attempts. Dude, I don't, I don't, I wanted to be a fan of Adam Gase. When he signed with the Dolphins, he had a lot of good recommendations from a lot of people that I follow in the NFL world. I and I badly wanted someone in the division to challenge Bill Belichick, right? And, and I, I kind of want the the Dolphins to be that team that challenges them. They they have some talent on their team. They're they're pretty good. They have they pay guys a, a ton of money. But what in the fuck is Adam Gase doing, leaving Jay Cutler in the game? I mean that is. I can't I don't understand anything he's doing. He's he's just he's completely just backed himself into a corner and he's just doubling down and doubling down and doubling down and and everyone everyone is trying to pull him away from the fucking blackjack table, but they can't do it for some reason. It's it's absolutely amazing how fucking bad Jay Cutler is. 92 yards on 26 attempts. What are his Yeah, but even even that game. I mean, they they went like six or seven quarters or something without scoring a touchdown or a point or something. Like what? I don't under this guy. He's he's so bad. He's bad. He makes bad decisions. He like he doesn't seem to really fucking try. Like it, what, soon as soon as there's a whiff of the pocket collapsing, he just kind of retreats five more yards. And if he he's either gonna throw some stupid pass because that's what Jay Cutler does. He's just improvising out there. And he's just gonna try and rely on his arm talent, which you know after. Uh, going into retirement and going to go into the broadcast booth, it doesn't look like his arm talent is the same as it once was, so he can't even sling it like he used to. And, I mean, he's not that mobile. I I don't understand why the Dolphins hate Matt Moore. Why are you paying a career backup who is one of the top three backups in the game 
if you're not going to use him in a spot like this, you go out and you pay this guy $5 million to do this to look absolutely horrible. If anything, you just sit Jay Cutler down to be like, listen, dude, you got to get your shit together if you're going to be on this team. We'll put you back in next week to start. But right now, you're sitting down because, what was it, through the first half, he had like 26 passing yards. It was a fucking joke. Dolphins or Cardinals on a neutral field? Jesus Christ, that's just like... That's like the worst of the worst. And somehow those teams, like, what are they? The Dolphins are two and two, and the, the Cardinals are two and three. The, those teams actually have between them collectively four wins somehow. Um, God, neutral field. I don't even, man, I honestly have no idea. Dolph- I think I have to go with color with the real haircut. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I don't, I honestly, only because I think their defense is better. Miami's defense is better. And, and the way that Bruce Arians coaches this, this offense, which I wanted to just say earlier, but I forgot, is that Bruce Arians, I mean, Rich, you brought up the offensive line, how they can't protect Carson Palmer. Well, Bruce Arians doesn't believe in having running backs block or putting in a tight end uh, to block. Like he just, it's just five guys on the line of scrimmage and that's it. Good luck. Seal it. Yeah. Do your job. Well, the, the reason he does that is because it's difficult to cover five people. So, yeah, well, clearly it's not fucking working, man. Okay. <laughs> I mean, that team is just ravaged with injury. Uh, their whole offense was built around David Johnson, which is probably not too smart in 2017 when running backs fall and die consistently. But without him, their offense just won't go. And also, Palmer might just be washed, too. So those two things make it pretty impossible for them to be efficient or at least above average on offense i I think miami slots into that area Uh, i'm looking at dvoa right now i mean they're they're bottom seven team they're really bad they're the worst team in the afc east by a sizable margin i think i think the jets have more talent on both sides of the ball and they are i I think miami might have the most talent outside of the patriots in the afc's but they're not the best team by they're the worst team by far i mean they're just they're so bad I don't understand what they're doing. Their bread and butter is running the game, or it has been in recent years. They can't even do that. I mean, I mean Jay Ajayi looks like he can't run more than two yards past the line of scrimmage. He looks borderline like Laguerre Blunt out there. Ajayi looks joke. bad. What's even worse, the offensive line looks bad. They have three first-round picks on that offensive line, including Laramie Tunsil, who fell to their lap because of that uh, weed mask scandal. They 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 had a guy who's like a top five talent fall to them, and they still can't make it work. I don't understand. I don't know. Maybe it's because the line coach is just doing blow in the facility. What what a disaster of a team. I mean, I'm just I'm if I'm on that team and I see my head coach, who's supposed to be the most prominent leader there at the franchise. You know, he's supposed to be leading us to battle every single week, getting us ready. Backing this shit show of a fucking quarterback every single week. I, I mean, if I'm Matt Moore, I'm just I'm fucking walking out. I'm taking my money and I'm like, listen, you guys fucking don't give a shit. You guys are absolutely absurd. I, I got to get out of here. Got to keep getting paid though. I would almost rather just be the backup. Doesn't get hit. Gets to stay pretty. Get to live in South Florida. Nothing wrong with that. I mean, it's not like Matt Moore is going to go out there and turn this into a winning outfit. No, it'll be fucking respectable. You'll put some people in the seats. Did you see that stadium on Sunday? There was nobody there. Nobody. 
And the people that were there were chanting, we want more. Yeah, that was, there were, I mean, it's like the, the, the 20 people in the stands were about to have a mutiny. There was thundering cheers or boos, I should say, to get Cutler out of the game and more into the game in that week five, week five home opener for Miami. What a, just a weird season for, for the Dolphins down in South Florida. Let's get to Every our year. They're supposed to be good every single year. Yeah. And then they just totally suck. You, uh, you said there briefly that you want a team to, uh, to challenge the Patriots. Well, you might be, uh, you might be falling to the hands of the first place New York Jets this weekend, kiddo. I'm not sure if we're going to fall, but I have a feeling we're going to talk about this game <laughs> a lot this week. <laughs> Our final game this week. I, I watched the first half of this and then was driving down to a concert in San Diego and listening on the radio to the second half, mostly the fourth quarter, and just just the moose of all mooses. The Rams lose 16-10 to to the Seattle Seahawks. First drive, Todd Gurley fumbles out of the end zone. And the Rams still go on to score the first 10 points of the game. So it could have been 17 zap. And then Seattle hangs around. They tie the game going into half. And then they kick two field goals in the second half. They go up six. And even despite all this, all these mooses, Jared Goff still marches down the field, gets the Rams in position to score a touchdown, throws a beautiful pass to Cooper Cup. A Cup has to extend a little bit, but just can't haul it in. We wouldn't even have won the game. We would have just gotten a half point, but we deserved that half point, TP. We deserved at least that half point. This game was so annoying to watch. The Rams were, were better. At, at everything on Sunday, but the score did not indicate that. This was this was the moose of the week for me, DP. Yeah, I mean, didn't Greg Zerline have a did miss field goal in there too? That that you know could have come into effect late in the game. I mean, the whole thing was just out of all the the catches that Cooper Cup has made this year, miraculous catches every single week. All we do, we he this guy has one catch when we're like, holy shit, Cooper Cup is amazing, and then he drops that one. I mean, yes. Degree of difficulty was high. We get it. He had to extend, but it, I mean, I don't know what you're gonna what you're gonna ask for in a situation like that against that Seattle defense to be that wide open, to have that chance at a catch, to have your quarterback throw that ball right down the seam on the money. It hit you in both hands in the end zone, dude. You have to catch the damn ball. Golf is good, right? Like he- uh, golf is he. Listen, he's good enough. How about that? I mean, he's good enough to be put in McVay's scheme with all those weapons around him. I mean, clearly the difference maker here is McVay. I mean, he, I mean, for as bad as Jeff Fisher looked, and we all on this podcast, we hated Jeff Fisher. We always wondered how he had a job. I mean, McVay looks him look 10 times worse than we ever thought that he looked. Yeah. I, I think you put it good that you put it well, you put it good there. You put it well there that Jared Goff is good enough. And if put into the right situation, which he's either in now or about to be really in a good situation because of McVay, he can succeed. I'm still all on this Rams team. I think there's a definite chance that they're the best team in the NFC West. 
I've always been bought in on the defense, and uh, Wade Phillips is doing a great job of uh, of getting them together. They they held Russell Wilson to five point four yards per attempt, which is amazing. Uh, Goff outperformed him in this game at six point one yards per attempt. He did throw a couple of interceptions that were just brutal, but I mean, second year player can be excused for now. Um, and yeah, just some some really some stones on some of the throws at the end of the game. That cup throw takes stones. That Robert Woods throw to the sideline, that takes some stones to make a throw like that outside the numbers. And I don't know. I I think the kid's pretty good, and it's pretty amazing considering how horrible he looked last year. Yeah, I don't think you have to be overly impressive as a quarterback. I mean, you have to be, like I said, good enough to, to be able to get stuff done in today's world, and then a lot of it is on on the head coaching i think that you know generally speaking across the nfl there are enough adequate quarterbacks but a lot of the times you just have these absolutely abhorrent coaches who have no idea what they're doing they don't put their players in good situations and they just they make them look like total knuckleheads out there i mean even even aaron Rodgers has to deal with it for as good as aaron Rodgers is i mean could you imagine aaron Rodgers if he had a coach with it who actually had a clue could you just imagine how, what that would be like? It would be unstoppable. Man, that last drive by Rodgers. Yeah, even on that last drive, McCarthy is running the football. Yeah, but that run was that was a perfect play call. That that Jones shotgun run, that was a great play call. And I think they ran it twice on that last drive. I did not I did not see the the full duration, but I did see that shotgun run when uh Jones lined up left and just took the ball right-hand side and just burst through a hole. Aaron Jones, man, it's, I, I've, I've defended Tymont because I think he's a, a dynamic player, but he's definitely not a running back. He does these weird non-running back things, like just running a little too upright, and he has great vision, but he's, you can just tell when he touches the ball that he's not a running back, and Aaron Jones is, and it was re- refreshing to see somebody who has these little intrinsic qualities, who knows what to do when they're in a hole or, or when they need to bounce outside. And that kid looked really good on Sunday. Yeah, if Mike McCarthy's smart, he runs with some some two running back sets with uh, Jones and Montgomery because then you're just kind of screwed if you're the other team. For I mean, sure. you have, first of all, you have to deal with Rodgers, which you're just screwed altogether to begin with. But to make matters worse, you then have two running backs who have proven that they can both run the ball if they need to. Um, and then Tymon can easily come out of the backfield and run some some great routes. So I think that, that can put teams in a lot of really tough spots uh, should McCarthy choose to use it uh, when Montgomery is, is back and, and ready to go full. It all it also allows them to rest Montgomery a little bit because ribs, uh, we don't know, broken or fractured. That's one of those things that the team tries to disclose as best as possible to not give the other defense any additional information as to where to target or how how hurt the player actually is. Uh, and it's one of those things where you can come back early from fractured or broken ribs if you wear a chest plate and if you're a tough son of a bitch. But this may allow them to rest him a little longer, get him a little more healthy uh, before he steps on the field. So two and three on Sunday. We're going to take a quick peek at the week six lines. But before that, Burt Manani, the god, is here to give you three Fantasy takeaways from the week that was. Burt Minotti! Burt Minotti! 
Hey guys, Brian here to give you three fantasy football takeaways from week five of the NFL season. Number one, what the hell do we do with this New York Giants offense going forward? There is zero semblance of a functioning running game. The offensive line's a disaster, and all four of the top wide receivers were injured on Sunday, including Odell Beckham and Dwayne Harris, who are both going to miss the rest of the season with ankle injuries. That said, this team still has to show up every week, and the ball has to go somewhere. That could open up opportunity for players seeing expanded roles in this offense. Sterling Shepard expected to miss at least one week with an ankle sprain, but when he returns should be the number one passing option for Manning and immediately becomes a flex option at worst in season-long leagues. I really like him as a buy-low candidate right now, especially if he does not play this week. You could probably get him at a great discount. But the biggest winner here is Evan Ingram, who should be the preferred target for Manning for at least the next week. Ingram gets that beautiful tight end designation, even though he's used all over the field as a receiver. He ran 12 routes from the outside, eight from the slot on Sunday. And although he did put up that moose egg against the Chargers with zero fantasy points, he can still safely be used as a tight end one in fantasy going forward, and now is the time to buy before he starts going off. Number two, the injuries to J.J. Watt and Whitney Merciless on this Texans defensive line have multiple fantasy impacts for the rest of the season. First, the Texans now become a, become a defense you can attack in DFS every week. The secondary was already a shell of what it was last year, and now without two of its best pass rushers, Houston is very leaky on defense. That means the Texans should be playing from behind more this season, which could mean more throws for Deshaun Watson and more targets for DeAndre Hopkins and Will Fuller. Watson continues to flash these gaudy fantasy numbers and is definitely a viable start in 12-team leagues every week, even more so now that he's going to be playing in a lot more negative game script. It's, the stock is super high on Deshaun, but it's well-deserved. He's currently the number two fantasy quarterback, could definitely finish the year in the top five. I'd be surprised if he doesn't. Number three, Amari Cooper has been the biggest disappointment for fantasy owners so far this season, but it's not the right time to dump the talented wideout just yet. Cooper has faced an incredibly tough stretch of matchups over the past three weeks. Josh Norman, Chris Harris, Akeem Tlaib, Jimmy Smith, plus the injury to Derek Carr obviously didn't help matters. If you're in a good position in your league standings right now, if you're 4-0 or 4-1, 5-0, even maybe 3-2 with a lot of fantasy points, Try to test the waters on Cooper. See if you can get him at a discount. The Raiders face the Eagles and the Cowboys in Week 15 and Week 16, so Cooper gets one of the easiest fantasy playoff schedules available. He could be the difference in you winning your fantasy football league this year. Now is a great time to get a discount at Amari Cooper. And we are back. Thank you to Brett. All right, DP, let's look ahead to Week 6. I brought up the Jets and Patriots briefly, and it seemed like you had a mini tease in there about us talking about them all week. Uh, any games that stuck out to you? Is that one of the games that stuck out? Yeah, that's the game that stuck out to me the most. I mean, I I knew it when I was doing my very super way too early capping uh, last night. But, I mean, the Patriots are 9.5 at Westgate right now. I mean, that's just that seems astronomical to me. I mean... I get it. They're the Patriots, and they're a super, super, super public team, the most public team on the board every single week, and that's what the books have to account for. But if I'm capping the game personally, I'm nowhere near 9.5. I'm sorry. The Patriots just aren't that good right now, and the Jets have been playing much better than I anticipated. And these these games seem like they're always pretty close. I mean, they're just 
it's just a divisional nitty gritty game. Um, the Patriots are on the road, so I, I can't make them nine and a half point favorites. If they were at home, they'd be 15 and a half point favorites. I mean, no, has chance. anyone watched that fucking defense play? It's a joke. <laughs> no chance. This is the week of double digit lines. And I'm including that nine and a half in there because we've got five right now. The Texans are minus 10 at home to the Browns. The Jets, uh, the Patriots are minus nine and a half on the road against the Jets. The Falcons are minus 11 and a half at home to the Dolphins. The Washington professional football team is minus 10 at home against the Niners. And then this is the line where I'm very proud. Round of applause. I'm very proud of you, Vegas. The Broncos are minus 11.5 at home to the Giants. Uh, I should be upset. I I was so hoping that they hung like 8 here. Hoping that the public still believed a little bit in the Giants. But I guess after every single receiver, literally every single receiver gets injured for New York, uh, they just can't hang a line that low. I was praying that they did. Because this Giants team is is a dead team walking and going on the road to Denver after Denver just had a bye week. It is the worst scenario possible for this Giants team. Yeah, that that one I I capped it at nine and a half. And as I was writing it down, I was like, man, I was like, I can't I don't think I can live with myself if I can if I put 10 or higher. But I also knew that I was like, I don't care really what this line is. I'm gonna be on the Broncos because the Giants are a fucking shit show. They're so bad. Their whole receiving core is hurt. I mean, it's I'm like, there's no way I can click them. I don't care. So, so like you, I'm I'm just not happy that that Vegas got it right, I guess, you know. So so what are you gonna do there? And then this uh this Falcons Dolphins line, I mean, I can't wait to see Jay Cutler in this situation. I mean, good God, he's gonna be a fucking disaster this week. I I, I honestly think that we might be still getting like two and a half points and value on the Broncos in that game. Like, shouldn't they be minus 14? Yeah. How are, so, so this is the rationale. The Patriots should be minus 15 and a half at home against the Jets. And the Broncos are only minus 12 against the Giants. That doesn't make much sense to me, just given what we've seen from all four of those teams play on, on a week in and week out basis. The public seems to be totally off the Lions too. It's amazing how uh, things like this happen. That game Lions at Saints opens up at four. It is currently four and a half on Pinnacle. And the four and a half carries a VIG of minus 121. So that game's going to five. Of course, New Orleans coming off of a bye. But what the public is just turning their back this fast on the Lions. I mean, I don't think we like them. We were screaming regression from the highest of mountains. But now all of a sudden, <laughs> they're minus five in New Orleans? I mean, I feel like the Lions were always that team. Even if you you were on them and you were screaming about how awesome you were on them, you were doing so just ready to just snap, turn the other way. <laughs> you know, you're never you're never actually just fully bought in, right? You're kind of just like peeking through the door, and you might be yelling through the door about how great the Lions are, but at a moment's notice, you're ready to just shut that door and go to the, go the other way. I'm interested in that game. The I need to look at it further, but it's it seems like a very quick, uh, abrupt face for the Detroit Lions. And then one last game I want to bring up, and then I'll allow you to bring any others that you're interested in, is Texans-Browns. So on 
Monday night, or Sunday night, excuse me, we see another great Deshaun Watson performance, but we see J.J. Watt suffer a season-ending leg injury, and then Whitney Merciless goes down towards the end of the game, and I, I have not seen a report, but it's... Torn pectoral out for the year. Two of their best defenders. Gone. Done. Toast. And they just auto-hang 10 here? I don't know. Yeah, I put this one I at... I don't know. Uh, I put this one at, at I wrote seven and a half slash eight. Um, I mean, that's a ton of points for a rookie quarterback who has really what one weapon out there. I mean, Will Fuller's look good, but I don't really think Will Fuller is exactly good. Um, I mean, DeAndre Hopkins is great. Deshaun Watson has looked great, but I mean, if if the Browns start Kevin Hogan, I think they'll, they'll be all right here. I mean, they can't be that bad. I Why mean, can't the Browns win this game? Yeah, this could also be a game where, you know, there's a bit of a of a hazy fog over Houston just because two of your best defenders and and your team leader in JJ Watt are now done for the year. I mean, you're just like, fuck, we're screwed guys. What are we going to do? And then you just come out there with a really crappy performance. Also, I could totally Miles, see that happening. Also, Miles Garrett versus that offensive line. That offensive line is is a joke. I mean, thank God they have a quarterback in Deshaun Watson who can run around like like Mike Vick used to. But I mean, it's it's not going to be a pretty sight. That line is absurd. I can promise you that's going to fit my card. Uh, and the ten is minus one nineteen on Pinnacle. So unfortunately, I don't think we'll get the full ten by the time the Super Contest lines come out. But still. Nine and a half is very intriguing. Any other games that you want to touch upon, DP? Well, I'm worried I'm going to have to click the Cardinals. <laughs> I'm just like, I saw what they had, and I was like, man, come, don't do this to me. Just don't make me click them. I mean, I'm, I think the Bucks are the right side in the game. Um, I just, I don't know how many, how much points I'm willing to lay with the Bucks. Who, I mean, I, it's not that they didn't. I mean, they kept it within the spread uh, last week against the Patriots on Thursday night, right? I mean, but just the the way that they went about the game, to me, it just it didn't make any sense. First of all, it didn't make sense that they weren't just throwing the ball all over the field, right? But, okay, fine. If you're running it like, what, Doug Martin was getting like eight yards of carry. But then they went away from that. Then they went back to the trying to pass, but they don't do anything on offense. I mean, they literally put Mike Evans on one side, Deshaun Watson or Deshaun Jackson on the other side, and that's their passing attack. It, it's they don't really like they don't put anyone in motion. It's just it looks just so bland, so vanilla out there. And then I I just I don't know about Jameis Winston, man. I want to be in, but I don't know. I that guy he has it looks like he has no touch on the ball. And then every time he tries to just absolutely just gun it in there like it's a cannon, it's the worst decision I've ever seen. That throw at the end of the game to to miss to or to to hopefully win the game. I don't know what the hell that was. If you're not if you're not one looking at Mike Evans, but maybe that's a coaching decision, you know, telling him to throw somewhere else. Okay, I can get that, but I still don't agree with it. You need to just freelance and do what you think is best. And two, how are you not throwing the ball to the end zone? I mean, that's just I don't know. I I don't know if I believe in Jameis Winston and. I mean, listen, the Cardinals are a joke. They're horrible, but I mean, I don't know. I could see them just getting it right enough <laughs> to, to to cover a spread here uh, if they're going to be getting a lot of points. But 
but yeah, but that game is uh, it's interesting to me. And then I wanted to know what what we're gonna do with this uh, Vikings and Packers game. Well, Bradford's out, right? Yeah, but why don't they have a lineup then? I mean, you, don't we know he's out? I think they're just protecting themselves. And I and I don't think Mike Zimmer is going to make a decision until the last second possible as well. I think he's been pulling these reindeer games the whole season. Yeah, I mean, so if he's out, what do you have it at? Where's the game? This is, I did not cap this game. I don't, I don't cap the Monday Packer, night game. Packers like, at Vikings. Packers at Vikings. With Case Keenum, something Case under center for the Vikings. So you've got the Packers in a public team that just keeps on covering, save for that Atlanta game. They go on the road in a big public spot. Aaron Rodgers marches down the field for victory. And on the other side of the ball, you've got the Vikings, who have been very successful under Mike Zimmer's tenure, but have really not become a public team, even though all they do is cover. They got a fortunate push last night. Packers at Vikings. I think that Vegas would open this game at... Like Vikings minus one, maybe. Right, I, I put it as a pick 'em. So yeah, okay. that that that's. Uh, I don't know if they can open the Vikes plus because I think guys would just sharps will just hop all over it. But I don't think that Agreed. they can hang anything close to a field goal for the Vikings. Me personally, I think you kind of just stick the three up with the Vikes and just let it be. Uh, but because these teams are pretty. I mean, neutral field, Packers and Vikings, they're pretty damn even. The Packers excel where the Vikings struggle, and the Vikings excel where the Packers struggle. And you know me, I think the hardest thing to do in football is stop the pass, and there are few teams that do it as well as the Minnesota Vikings do. And then one other game I just want to quickly touch on. I don't think I don't think the Chiefs are getting enough credit. Uh, they're going to be playing the Steelers uh, Sunday afternoon. This game is so scary. Continue. I, I know because this this could be the game where the Chiefs just suck, right? I mean, we've we're kind of waiting for that regression. Um, and and if you ask Mo, he thought it was coming the this last week against the Texans, but the Chiefs played really well, and and you know they ended up winning that game, which was a, was a pick'em, so they covered. Um, but I mean, this one you have stock high, you have stock low. Um, I think that the Chiefs are a far superior team. I have no idea what the Steelers are doing, but that's not to say the Steelers just can't come out and just totally light up the world and the Chiefs can just throw up a dud because it seems like they're due for a dud. So so while I may not think that the Chiefs are getting the respect that they deserve in terms of the, the spread uh, where it's at, um, it, it may, might just be a, a stay-away game overall. But it's going to be interesting to see where this one ends up uh, You know, come Wednesday afternoon when the Super Contest lines are released. Steelers at Chiefs, the line is currently four, and it feels criminally low, right? Doesn't it? And it it is stock high, stock low, so maybe it is right where it is, but... Given how well the Chiefs have played, you would think Vegas would hang this a little higher. But then again, the Steelers are a public team. But the Steelers are coming off an outright loss to the Jaguars, and Big Ben is saying that he might just not have it anymore. This line at four just smells so bad. And you've got 80% of the public on the Chief, on the Chefs. I almost went, I, I did, I went Chefs and Chiefs and turned them into Chiefs. Uh, 80% and the line's not moving. 
This game. Yeah, that one. That one scared me. I mean, I I capped it at five and a half. Um, I didn't I didn't want to go to six, but I felt like it would should be more than four or four and a half. And yeah, and then just quickly, I mean, this so this Steelers team, right? How they've lost to the Bears, right? They got blown out by the Jacksonville Jaguars when. I have no idea what Mike Tomlin was doing with that game plan when the Jack- Jacksonville has one of the best pass defenses and they make Ben throw it 55 times, yet they only run it with Bell, who's a really fucking good running back. I don't know if you knew that, Mike Tomlin, but Bell is really effing good, okay? You only ran it with him 15 times against the worst run defense at the time in the NFL. I mean, what are you doing? Yeah. How do you lose? What did they lose? Thirty to seven or something? When Blake Bortles throws ninety yards, this we we've said it all along. The Jaguars can dominate in positive game script, and the Steelers, in throwing five interceptions, handed them <laughs> two pick sixes. And the the thing that pisses me off most about this is it's something that uh, my brother, who listens to the show, brought out to me last night, and it just really got my blood blood flowing. Was that fucking Ravens pick against at home against the Steelers a couple weeks ago. I mean, that that pick to me was still right. Of course. And the Ravens just couldn't get their fucking shit together against this stupid Steelers team. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it classic Harbaugh, Tomlin. It had all the makings of a Ravens cover, and we just didn't get it. I'm totally yeah, I mean, with it's you. just it's like it's just that's like in a, in a nutshell, that's how our year has gone, and that shit just infuriates me because in the bigger picture, it looks like we were on the right side, right? Just the way that the Steelers have looked all year. And then last week, you have the Ravens just totally go, go into Oakland and just they look like a good team. I mean, not they're not a great team, but they, they do what they need to do. And, and then we just happened to pick the week when they decided to totally shit the bed. Seems like 2017 in a nutshell. Uh you guys can follow us on Twitter at Gridiron Gamble. Shoot us an email. Shoot us your pick at Gridiron Gamble Podcast at gmail.com. We beg you to rate, review, subscribe to the show. Your love powers this machine. He's at Donnie underscore Peters on Twitter. I'm at Rich T. Ryan. We'll be back on Thursday for some super or for some DFS selections on DraftKings. Get you ready for some fantasy. But until then, peace out.